Hey, we're going to be in Revelation 1, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. While you turn there, I'm going to let you all in on a story from when Jethro was in college. The title of this story is The Meanest Thing I've Ever Done to My Wife by Mistake. So this was an honest mistake. Do you know this story? No, but we're here for it. Yeah. Um, so I can't reiterate enough. This was an honest mistake. I was not trying to be mean. This happened before we were married. It happened before we were engaged. It happened in that like magical season where we were dating for a while. We were high school sweethearts. And we knew we were going to get married. Like, I talked to her dad. Like, I got his blessing. I bought her a ring. And Megan knew that. And so she was ready. She was on pins and needles. Like, it's happening anytime. So I, being a jerk, <laughs> would just do stuff. Like, I'd like kneel down and be like, oh, wait while I tie my shoe. You know, I'm just that way. I can't help it. It's what I do. But <laughs> there was one time in particular that stands out in Megan's mind eye. And she laughs about it now. But we were going to go hiking. We were going to go to a place called Pinnacle Mountain. It's this beautiful mountain in central Arkansas. Um, and it's like it's a mountain. There's like a lookout. You can see all kinds of things. So I said, hey, we're going to go to Pinnacle Mountain. We're going to bring our best friends, Summer and DJ. And we're going to bring a camera to take pictures of the wildlife. Now, in retrospect, I recognize that was terrible, like a really bad idea. but. My mind was just thinking, we'll take pictures of animals. We like doing that. Um, I had the actual engagement planned out for like a couple weeks later. It was not meant to be a fake out. I did this in all honesty and error. So we start hiking. It's like, it's a good, rigorous little hike. And Megan, of course, is dressed up really nice. I'm a guy, so just had no idea what was going on. So she's dressed up real nice. We're like going up the mountain with Summer and DJ. And Megan starts getting kind of tired because it's a hard hike. And I say, the worst thing I could have possibly said, but I didn't know it. I said, don't worry, Megan. It will be worth it at the top. <laughs> In my mind, I'm thinking, it's going to be a nice view. In Megan's mind, she hears, I'm going to come down with a ring. <laughs> so we hike to the top. We sit down and eat a picnic that we packed. We take pictures of some wildlife. There's like some eagles. And then we turn around and go down the mountain. <laughs> Megan is a trooper. She's an absolute champ. Says nothing. She's oddly quiet on the way down. We get there. We drive home. It's like an hour-long drive, <laughs> which makes it even worse. And we get there, and I drop her off at her dorm, and she breaks down in tears. Aww. Yeah, you can't. You can all say, "No, so Aww. jerk, Jethro." Meanest thing I've ever done. Now, it had a happy ending. We got engaged a couple of weeks later. Um, so why am I telling you this story? Number one, guys, <laughs> he who has ears, let him hear. <laughs> um, that's a very special and tender time in your relationship. So don't be a dummy. <laughs> don't be like me. Um, but secondly, I want to focus on what I said. It will be worth it. All right? Obviously, Megan said no, it wasn't. Um, but this is a question, is it worth it? John, the apostle, he wrote Revelation. His original audience would have been asking that question. What about something bigger, right? These people are being persecuted for loving Jesus. They're losing friends and family. They're being disowned. They're losing their jobs. They're you know, just being made fun of. And they're sitting there going, is it worth it? <laughs> should I keep following Jesus, or should I cave into the pressures 
of the culture? Should I go to these pagan parties? <laughs> Should I worship Caesar? Should I just compromise? Is following Jesus worth the time and the effort and the heartache? And here we are, almost 2,000 years later, and we're asking the same question. Maybe it looks different. Maybe there's no one telling us to burn incense to Caesar. But I don't know. Has that question, you don't have to like shake your head yes or no or answer out loud, but has that question ever crossed your mind? Say, man, like it kind of seems like I'm missing out on stuff. You know? Man, it's, it's hard work to go to church regularly. It's hard, hard work to pray. Like, it's hard work to say no to sin. It's hard work to share the gospel with my friends when they make fun of me. It's hard work to say no. Is it worth it? And so the Lord gives us something kind of beautiful in Revelation. He could just have, like, two sentences and say, hey, guys, listen up. Um, it's worth it. I promise. <laughs> he could do that. But he does something kind of different. So John opens up Revelation, and he just kind of says, hey, it's me, John. Um, I'm on this island. Jesus showed up to me. Here's what I saw. Um, greetings, guys. He's talking to the seven churches. And remember, seven was a number of completion, perfection. So it's not just these early churches in Asia Minor. It's this is a message for all of God's people everywhere. So he gets all that kind of introductory stuff. And then what does he do next? He paints this incredible vision of the exalted, resurrected Jesus. So instead of saying, hey, guys, I promise it's worth it, he says, Look at our Savior. Look at how wonderful and majestic and beautiful our Savior is. Look at the King of Kings. Keep your eyes on him, and I promise you it's going to be worth it. So that's what this is doing. That's why John kind of just starts out his whole book saying, look at our Savior. I promise it's worth it. Hang in there. If you're a note-taking kind of person, I'm going to give you my outline. All right. Um, there's three things I want to say about Jesus tonight. They're pretty simple but I think they are profound. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is glorious. And then number three, Jesus is with us. All right, that's it. That's what we get from Revelation 1. Jesus is God. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is with us. Um, so we'll just go ahead and read chapter 1. Here's what I want from you guys. This isn't homework. If you don't do it, we're not going to kick you out. I would encourage you, if you need something to do with your quiet time, read Revelation with us. Um, so read, read chapter 1 again, and then this week read chapters 2 and 3. That's what we'll cover next week. I'm not going to read every word every single time, since we do have God's Word in print. Not everybody did throughout history, but um, just do yourself a favor, read through this, and then read through chapters 2 and 3. <clears throat> but since um, I didn't tell you all that, I'm going to read through this whole thing, and then we'll talk about it. So, Revelation 1, starting in verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So there's a blessing on people who read this out loud, Again, back then, they didn't have print Bibles, and so someone would take this letter, which was like a big risk, right? Like, if you get caught with this, this is like insurrection. This is like an affront to the government. So if you're reading this letter out loud, if you get caught, like, that's a big risk. And then blessed are those who not just hear it, but do what? They take it to heart. They listen to it. They keep it. So revelation is a call to discipleship. It's a call to say, listen to God's word and carry it out in your life. 
seeing Jesus for who he is should absolutely transform who you are. And if you hear the word of God and just keep on living like you're living, there's a problem here, okay? Uh, Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits, some translations might say the sevenfold spirit. Does anybody have that? Nice. What translation do you have? Uh, NLT. Nice. Yeah. So seven spirits or sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. (coughs) I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, I'm in exile. I got kicked off of the mainland because I was being faithful. (laughs) On the Lord's Day, so that's Sunday, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, in Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. If you look at those in order, they make kind of a nice little circle. And so people would send letters to lots of people, and they'd kind of go through that circle and hit the main towns. So that's why they're listed in that order. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his hand on me me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. We'll get into that next week. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. All right? So that's going to kind of lead into what we talk about next week. But so, okay. So John says, hey, here I am. (laughs) And then he just busts out into worship, right? And what's interesting, I said the seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit. Remember, seven is a number of perfection, completion. This is an image of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's kind of a throwback to Zechariah 4, I think, where the Holy Spirit um, is sent out by the Lord to do God's work. So we have the sevenfold spirit. We have the one who is and who was and who's coming. So that's God the Father. And then we have Jesus Christ. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We have the Trinity right there um, at the start of Revelation 1. That's pretty cool. Jesus is God. There's stuff that we might miss, but John's original audience who was familiar with the Old Testament, a lot of them were Jewish, uh, culturally, they would read this and go, oh, wow, Jesus is God, right? So if you read the Old Testament prophets, there's this thing that they do, especially Isaiah, 
you don't have to look it up right now, but Isaiah 6 has this. Um, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 1, they do this thing where they kind of do their introductory stuff and then they say, look at the Lord. <laughs> I saw a vision of the Lord, high and lifted up. This is what he looked like. His glory was just astonishing. And John is doing that. He's saying, I had this vision, but it's Jesus Christ. And so he's doing something that the ancient prophets did with Yahweh, the one true God. He does some other things. Um, he says that Jesus is coming in the clouds. He says, Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Um, another name for that is the king of kings, in verse 5. He holds the keys to death in Hades. Every Jewish reader would have been like, those are things that are only true of Yahweh. And so what John is doing is he's saying, look at Jesus. God shares his throne with Jesus. <laughs> and so John is saying, Jesus is fully God. He's fully divine. God himself, the God Almighty, calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. At the end, in verse 17, Jesus says, I am what? The first and the last. <laughs> And then later on in Revelation, in chapter 22, Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. So why does this matter? Like, this isn't news to you guys that Jesus is fully God. Probably. You signed it in your Camp Thurman statement. Um, this might have been kind of shocking to some ancient readers. That was kind of news that this Jesus guy rose from the dead. But why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is the one, that Jesus is God, he shows up? Well, Jesus is our savior, right? And you can't be a perfect savior unless you're a perfect God, right? And so Jesus says, look, I've freed you from your sins. Only God can do that, <laughs> right? Jesus says, I'm the resurrected one. You don't have to be afraid. I have conquered death. No human can conquer death. And so people can do great things. We have people in history who are teachers and prophets. They were wise. They told great stories. They were great men, but these people cannot solve our deepest issues, right? We have medical advances, right? Like, people can heal you of some diseases, not all of them. That was me in fifth grade. I got super sick, and through medical technology, the Lord saved my life. I really did. But medical people can't stop you from dying, right? Like, I'm still going to die someday, but Jesus says, look, I've conquered death in Hades. I have overthrown death, right? People can entertain us. You can read good books or watch good movies. Praise God, like that's great. I'm not against movies or books. I'm against like a lot of cinema's movie opinions, <laughs> but that's like a separate thing. <laughs> no, stop. Lion King is a great movie, okay. All right, so people can entertain us, but people can't fill our heart's deepest longings and desires. All right, Augustine, an ancient Christian thinker, is praying to God and he says, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right, so why does it matter that Jesus is God? Well, because only God can satisfy our deepest longings. Only God can satisfy our eternal problems. Only God is our source of comfort and hope. So Jesus is God. That's point number one. Number two, Jesus is glorious. And by that I mean Jesus is supremely worthy of worship. Jesus is worthy of worship. And we see that just throughout this text, right? John, I think in verse 6, even just says, hey, to him be the glory. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Why? What has Jesus done? Um, Jesus is called the faithful witness. What does that mean? I don't hear people call Jesus the faithful witness all that much. Why would John call him that? Anybody know? So, I talking so much about persecution that I haven't really thought about it before, but since like putting it in that context, realize that usually, you know, yeah, all of them are 
you're called to witness in a court like you're given, you're put on trial. The temptation would be to be an unfaithful witness to say, no, I didn't see him rise from the dead. Yeah. Even if you had. You see witnesses in court? Yeah, nice. And Jesus, when he was brought to court, he, you know, claimed to be God without, and, you know, yeah. not deny that he was king of the Jews. He was the faithful witness in that situation. Yeah, so there's a court image. The word for witness is also the word for martyr. It's the same word in Greek. And so to be a martyr for Jesus means that you testify to the greatness of gospel, of the gospel, even unto death. And so Jesus is the faithful witness. He is the one who testified to God's saving work on earth by dying on the cross for our sins. Later on, there's actually one other person in Revelation who's called a faithful witness. His name is uh, Antipas, I think. We see him in uh, chapter 2, verse 13. We'll see him next week. But he's called a faithful witness because he suffered and died for the gospel. So Jesus, as a faithful witness, died for our sins. What's the second thing that Jesus is called? He's called the firstborn from the dead. Again, I don't know if I've heard a lot of people talk about that. And that's okay, but this is a new way to think about Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? It means that Jesus rose from the dead, but he's not the only one that will rise. And so sometimes in Christianity, we have this idea that, you know, someday we'll die, and then our souls go up to be in heaven, and we live with the Lord forever as these, like, disembodied spirits strumming harps or whatever. And that's not the biblical image of our hope. Biblically, if you read 1 Corinthians 15, uh, if you read 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, if you read Revelation, you're going to find out that the hope that we have is that our physical bodies will be resurrected. Someday Jesus is going to come back and bring our dry bones back to life and that we will live with God in the new creation. And so when it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, it means the rest of us are going to die and we're going to join him one day. That's kind of cool. Jesus is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Again, just think about their situation. They're being persecuted. And they're saying, doesn't matter what Caesar says. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is the king of kings. So he deserves your faithfulness. And then I love this. I love that it goes from the ruler of the kings to who loves us. The ruler of the kings of the earth loves you. That's astonishing. Like, that is so beautiful. He loves you and he forgave your sins. No, what does it say? He freed us from our sins. So, yes, if you belong to Jesus, your sins are fully forgiven. Your sins are cleansed. You've been redeemed. But Revelation says you've been freed from your sins. And anyone who's been caught in a cycle of just perpetual sin knows that sin can feel like slavery. You wake up and you know what you're not supposed to do, and you do it anyway. You wake up and you know what you're supposed to do, and you don't do it. Because sin can just feel like a tyrant. And so the good news here is that, yes, your sins are fully forgiven. Like, if you are in Christ, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for you. But also, if you're in Christ, you're called to walk in a new way of life, and you have the freedom and the power to do that, because Christ has set you free from that. That's pretty beautiful. And then he made us a kingdom and priests to serve God. We'll see that more as Revelation unfolds. So... Why is Jesus worthy of worship? Because of his amazing acts of love towards us. Why else? Towards the end, we see this just majestic vision of Christ exalted. And there's lots of figurative language. It's one of those things that's kind of like a joke or a poem. Like, if you explain it too much, it like kind of ruins it. 
So I can talk through some of these things, but like the point of Revelation 1, starting in verse 12 all the way down, is you're supposed to read that. And yes, you're supposed to learn something in your brain. But there's parts of the Bible that you're supposed to read and just feel in your gut. <laughs> there's parts of the Bible that are supposed to hit you on just an imaginative register. And so you read this, and your heart and your eyes should just turn to Jesus in all of his magnitude and glory. And just be astonished by his beauty. That's good for your soul. Christianity is not just a brain game. It's something that happens in our hearts as well. So, there's lots of beautiful imagery here. He's called the Son of Man. That's an ancient term for Messiah. He has a robe and a sash and white hair. Just pictures of wisdom and dignity and honor. Like, this guy deserves the highest honors. Um, his eyes are like blazing fire. This is a picture of Jesus seeing. He doesn't just look at you. He looks into the depths of your heart. And if you have any brokenness or darkness in your heart, which we all do, <laughs> that's a little bit terrifying. And that's okay. We're supposed to feel that. And so Jesus looks into every corner, every recess of our dark and twisted hearts. And he loves us the same. But number two, his eyes are like fire. What does fire do? It purifies. And so Jesus looks into the depths of our soul and says, I'm going to make that new. I'm going to fix that up. I'm going to redeem that. I'm going to clean up that mess and create someone as a new creation who walks with me and honors me. His voice is like a rushing water. It's power. It's majesty. His feet are like glowing bronze, something like that. There's actually kind of an illusion that kind of throws back to Daniel, where this ancient king sees this vision, and it's this statue, and it's got gold and silver, but its feet are made out of clay and iron. And this big old rock that represents the kingdom of God comes and just crashes into that statue's feet. And the statue just crumbles. And so the statue represents all the kingdoms of the earth. And the vision is saying, every earthly kingdom is going down. It's done. The kingdom of God is eternal. That's the thing that you invest all of your time and your hope and your energy. Every other kingdom will crumble. Well, Jesus' feet are not stone or clay or iron. They're solid bronze. And so Jesus is pictured standing steadfast, unmovable. This is the one to put your hope in. Um, he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, which is kind of an intense picture, but think about what swords do. They cut through things. This is an image of justice. It's an image of truth. And then his face shines like the sun. <laughs> this guy's just glowing, right? It just shows glory and majesty. And so you think, what would you do, if you were confronted by this image of Christ, we love this idea of like, oh, yeah, Jesus is my best friend, but John gets knocked on his butt, right? John goes down and he falls down in worship, which is honestly the only appropriate response when you see Jesus for who he is. Jesus should knock us off of our feet, right? Whenever you are confronted by the resurrected Christ, it changes you. And so the point of this whole section is not to analyze and not go, yeah, I think the yeah, historical content. No, like, no, the point of this is to look at Jesus and say, wow, <laughs> that guy is worthy of worship. So Jesus is God. Jesus is glorious. But the thing that's so amazing is Jesus is not a God who's out there somewhere, right? The Greeks believed in this mountain called Olympus, and the gods just kind of hung out up there and did whatever they wanted and sometimes showed up and did a bunch of dumb stuff, right? Jesus is God taking on flesh. Jesus is God coming down, taking our sins on himself. Jesus is God fully forgiving us and reconciling us with his father so that we can have new life. 
And so when you think about this incredible picture of Jesus and think, he's with us, right? It says, I turned and I saw someone looking like a son of man, and he was walking where? Or he was standing where? Among the seven lampstands. And what do the seven lampstands represent? They represent the churches. They represent God's people, not just the people in Asia Minor and Turkey. It represents all of God's people always everywhere. And so Jesus is standing among us. And that should do two things to our hearts. <laughs> wherever our hearts are suffering, wherever our hearts are grieved, whatever spaces of brokenness there are in your life, whether it's family stuff, whether it's stuff with your friends, whether it's fears or doubts or anxiety, whether it's stuff with school or sports, whether it's grief or sickness or whatever it might be, this passage says, the ruler of the kings of the earth is with you. And he loves you. <laughs> so it should give us outrageous comfort. But number two, it should change our hearts to know that this pure and mighty and holy God dwells among us by his son wherever there's wickedness in our hearts. And all of us have it. <laughs> this isn't judgmentalism. This isn't, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're just sinful humans. And so when our hearts are confronted by the beauty of Jesus Christ, it should radically change us. And we can't do that if we just ignore him. <laughs> Right? We have a picture of him right here, and he calls us to look at him and see him for all of his beauty and holiness and glory and worthiness of worship. So Jesus is God. Jesus is glorious. Jesus is with us. So what are we going to do with it? <laughs> What's going on in your life right now? You don't have to say out loud, but where is Jesus meeting you in your suffering? Where do you need to find Christ and discover this incredible hope? Where... Are you compromising? Where are you doubting? Where do you need to be confronted by this holy God who sees every single part of your heart and is fully committed to making you new? So be faithful. Is it worth it? <laughs> I would say that it's worth it, but after hearing my story at the start, you might not trust my word that it's worth it. But more importantly, Jesus says it's worth it. <laughs> John says it's worth it. Jesus says, I'm here. Look at me. Be faithful. Keep your eyes on Christ. All right? That's what we're going to do this semester. That sets the tone for everything else that happens in Revelation. When we talk about the churches, when we talk about Armageddon, whatever that is, when we talk about these wild beasts and crazy images, everything we do, we keep our eyes on Christ and we walk in faithfulness. So we are going to do some questions. Has anybody, have you guys, I totally forgot to talk about that, didn't I? Here's the thing. There's a QR code. You can take a picture of that and write in your questions. There's also a link in Slack. I'm going to go off script. We're going to do worship first because I forgot to mention that. And then if there's any questions, I can jump in and do my best to answer them.